Well, many of you know and experience me as your pastor. Now, Kim is the only one that knows and experiences me as husband. My three daughters are the only three that really know and experience me as dad. And my seven grandchildren, they know and experience me as papa or grandpa. Now recently we had some of the kids over and Johnny, who is about five years old, he's sitting there, he says, uh, hey papa, are you a pastor? Because he goes to church here, so I think he, you know, he kind of figured, are you? I says, yes I am. He says, I'm gonna call you grandpa pastor. And I thought, whoa, okay. He kind of, you know, he ex experienced me as grandpa, he's experienced me as pastor, so now he's gonna call me grandpa pastor. You know, Jesus is known by two different identities and roles that he fills, and we often call him as Jesus Christ. And each one of those names has a distinct identity and role as to what Jesus did and who he is. Jesus means savior, but Christ really emphasizes kingship. Uh, you know, he comes as a saving king. And when we think of Jesus, we think of savior. When we think of Christ, we think of king. We think of Messiah. Matter of fact, in John, you'll see this. He, he found his first, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Now that last phrase was not put in by me. That's actually in the Bible. So the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, what they would have been used to was the idea of a Messiah who's coming. Uh, the Messiah was this promised king who was gonna come and save the nation and rule over the world. And so this story all the way through the Old Testament talked about this coming Messiah, which translated means Christ, and we know him as Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, and they all knew that that meant the king. Note here in his trials with Pilate, And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And you gotta remember, these were the Jewish people that were speaking to Pilate, and my point's gonna be, this, the, uh, this first passage, this one and the next one, there's nobody who knows better what Messiah, what Christ meant or who it would be than the Jewish people. And so here the Jews are saying before Pilate, he is saying about himself, he's the Christ, a king. So Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Then we see this again at the cross. We see the leaders, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes around the cross, they were mocking Jesus. And among themselves they're saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. Let this Christ, 
the king, so I, I try to help you see, in the Jewish mind, the, the text was written, you know, at that time to these people, in their mind, when they heard the word Christ, they identified the idea of king. So they said, let this Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. This whole idea of Christ this morning is really the heart of what Palm Sunday is all about. That's what we celebrate today, the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now, many of us don't understand the size of this event. We need to understand the triumphal entry in the scope of the whole Bible. First of all, the life of Jesus was big. We kind of, you know, we kind of, it's one of the events, but we don't realize it's one of the real big ones up there with the cross and the resurrection. Because what we see happening is this. All the way from Genesis 3, God had made a promise that there was a seed that was going to come from a woman who was going to come and crush Satan's head. And so all through the Old Testament, the seed is developed with Abraham. There was going to be a seed, a child of Abraham that was going to come. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then we see in David that he further defines this seed as coming through the line of David. He was going to be a king forever over a kingdom forever and reign forever. So what's the very first line of the New Testament? Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. <laughs> They're tying him back to the fact that he is this promised Messiah, this promised seed, this Christ, the king that God has been promised that was going to come and save the nation. And so this is the day, and if you trace back to Daniel chapter 9, you'll see that on this very day, the Messiah was going to come to Jerusalem. And Jesus present himself officially as the Messiah, as the King of Israel and of all the world, who came to save them from the oppression of the nations and from the oppression of their sin. And what happened? They rejected him. They rejected him. And this begins, I mean, here you gotta follow me. I just wanna say, when you follow the whole story of the Bible, this is big. Here it is. What did Jesus come preaching? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So here he comes presenting the kingdom to the nation and now there's official presentation coming. Here he is, here's the Christ, and they reject him. And the story goes on from there, which we'll fill in at another time. But this day is a big day, Palm Sunday, as we look at the story of Jesus presenting himself as the king of Israel, the king of all the world and the nations, and being rejected by his own who he came to. So let's look at this story. Turn by, turn, uh, start by turning to Matthew 21, the triumphal entry.
Verse 1, Matthew 21. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, actually the prophet Zechariah, chapter nine, verse nine, where he said this, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt the full of a beast of burden. The fulfillment of a prophecy. Matter of fact, uh, there's an editorial comment. The story is kind of being told in verses one, two, and three. But in verse four, he kind of makes a comment. Uh, Matthew kind of says, hey, let me tell you what's going on here. So he kind of steps back from the story. And he says, what's going on here is actually a prophecy that was made some 500 years before by Zechariah is being fulfilled in this moment where a, where a donkey and a colt are united together. And as Zechariah said, he wouldn't just be coming on a donkey and he wouldn't just be coming on a colt, but he came on a donkey and a colt. And who was it? It was the very king they were waiting for. You know, Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on the donkey that day, should have been, you've heard of pictures worth a thousand words? This is one of those where a picture's worth a million words. <laughs> because as being the very hope that they hoped for for centuries, the very book that they studied and that they invested their life in and taught their children and memorized and read and listened to, they, they, this, this book was telling them about this time when this king, their king was gonna come to them on a donkey and a colt. I'll never forget sitting right over here about where you are, Marlene, was a guy named Al Richmond. Uh, how many of you remember Al? Some of you have been around, remember Al? Al was a full-blood Jewish man, part owner of an expensive restaurant downtown, and somebody invited him to an Easter musical. Talk about inviting a friend next Sunday. I didn't think about the connection here. We're doing an Easter musical, and Al was sitting right over there, and I'll never forget, he had this big white head of hair. I'll never forget, he had the kind of hair a preacher's supposed to have. I got the anti-preacher's hairdo. But you know, he's like a TV preacher, this big, beautiful head of white hair. And Al was sitting over there, and uh, through that middle door, in this play came a donkey. And the guy who was playing Jesus was sitting on the donkey and walked up the aisle. And in that moment, Al recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. Remember uh, Kim and I, we went out with Al. I went down to his restaurant to see his place and sat and I said, Al, tell me what happened. He says, Pat, when I was sitting there, he says, you gotta understand, I grew up in 
all my schools were Jewish schools. I even learned Hebrew and learned all the Jewish. And he says, all my life I heard about that the king was going to come on a donkey. And when I saw that donkey come in the room with Jesus on, you know, the guy who's playing Jesus, the lights went on. Jesus is the Messiah. And at that moment, El gave his life to Jesus and his life was transformed forever. You see, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey was a picture worth a million words <laughs> that every Jew should have understood what was going on here. Jesus was officially presenting himself as their Christ, as their king. And so as you go on in the story, it says that in verse six, the disciples went, did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and there laid their coats on the donkey and the colt and Jesus sat on the coats. Now most of the crowd, they took off their coats and they spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds were growing ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so you hear the crowd yelling out, Hosanna to the son of David. Gilbert, how would have they, how would have they cried that out, man? Say that to me, Hosanna to the son of David. What would it sound like? <laughs> oh my goodness. Gilbert lost his, amen. So you hear them, you hear them. I mean, this is all of a sudden, some people in the crowd are recognizing Hosanna to the, why would they say to the son of David? Because they knew just like Albert would have known and those who would have grown up in that context, that the king, the Messiah, was going to come from the line of David. The son of David was another way of saying the Christ, the king, the promised one who was going to come from the line of David, son of David. Blessed is the son of David. So here you have the crowd yelling this out as Jesus comes. Now turn to Luke 19 because then we're going to pick up and we're going to see how the leaders responded. We see here in Matthew how the crowd responded. We're going to pick up the story and now see how did the leaders respond in Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 37. I'll give you a second to get there because you're going to want to see this. So much rich stuff. You there? We're in verse 37 of Luke 19. And we pick up again with about where the crowd was. Then he moves into the leaders and he says this. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so you have Luke, like at any situation, you have Matthew and Luke in the crowd watching what's going on. Matthew hears people yelling a Hosanna to the son of David. Luke hears the people crying out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe both, both those were cried out saying, now Dan Fletcher, you would never let Gilbert out, do you, would you, brother? 
What would it sound like for the people to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord? Amen. Gilbert, come on, brother. He th- you you got to do better. Let's go back to Hosanna to the son of David. Dan, let's hear it, brother. All right, now you we need some help here. This side. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's hear it over here. You guys are good. I'm not sure you guys could be as good, but we'll find out. Hosanna to the son of David. Now I want both sides, because this is what was happening. There's a crowd of noise. These two things. Are, so let's hear it, both sides. Let's go. Again. One more time. Now, I'll tell you what, this ticked the Pharisees off. <laughs> the religious leaders, here I am sitting here and, and half these people are saying, he's the Messiah from the line of David. Others are saying he's the Messiah, he's the king. And they're hearing this. And now listen to what they say when you move into verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke means denounce what they're saying and stop them from doing it. And listen to what Jesus said. I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. This event is so big, it demands praise. And just we should praise. It demands praise. Matter of fact, if you don't praise, Jesus said, you know what's going to happen? The stones. If Moraine Valley doesn't praise Jesus today, it may be possible these bricks start crying out and praising Jesus. Because this event, Jesus is saying, you know what, guys? I could tell them to be quiet, but they're going to quiet. Then even the stones around are going to start to shout out who I am. I am the Christ. I am the son of David. I am the king. And then in verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. Now we think of Jesus weeping. We think of a little tear in the eye and a tear coming down. That's not the word. There is a word for that. This is the word for wailing. This is the word for a loud crying. It's kind of like if somebody was in the back in the atrium while we're in here and they're just wailing. We're all going, whoa, what's going on? Jesus wailed over what had just happened. His heart was broken. He was in deep grief. He was wailing over the fact. And he said this in verse 42. If you had known this day, even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. If you guys just would have understand this very day, what it was all about. If you would have just understood, this is the day of peace. This is the day that I came to bring peace to you, peace in your own soul from that conflict and war that we know from sin, and peace from your external enemies. 
And then he says this in verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. The rejection of Jesus resulted in the judgment of Israel. And you know, I got to tell you, there's some of us, you know what stands between us and eternal judgment is the way we respond to Jesus. And we saw here for those who rejected Jesus as the king and the savior, what happened. And by the way, 70 AD, this is exactly what happened as Jesus predicted. And what happened is as General Titus came into Jerusalem and they surrounded it and they built, uh, you know, the siege walls and they destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left upon another. Just as Jesus said comes true. What Jesus says will be fulfilled, whether it be I'm going to bless you or I'm going to spank you. <laughs> Whatever Jesus says, he's faithful to carry out. And Jerusalem and the Jews at this point, when their religious leaders who represented the nation officially rejected Jesus at that moment, everything changed in the history of the nation because the kingdom that Jesus came to offer, a kingdom that had internal and external peace was rejected by the very people he offered it to. Then he says this at the end of verse 44, because you did not recognize, you know, this is why your enemies are now going to come and overthrow you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. That word visitation is a beautiful word. It's used for when God comes to visit. It's not Pat showed up for a visit today. It's a word that's used when God comes to visit. You guys missed it. God came to town and you missed it. That's what broke Jesus' heart. That's what made him wail so deeply. The people he loved, his own chosen people, he came to them as their king, as their God. He's visiting them this very day. And they didn't recognize him for who he was, and they rejected him. Now, I'm going to talk about what, what are the implications for you. That, that's the story. That, that's, what, that's why Palm Sunday is big. What's it mean for you and me? I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you right up front. I'm afraid that many people, like the Jews, may not recognize the day that God is visiting them. And maybe I got a concern for those who don't know Jesus, but I got a concern for those who do know Jesus. Because there's many people who are trusting Jesus, their Savior, and rejoicing that they got a ticket to heaven, but they're not living day by day with Jesus as their King and obeying Him. You see, He is Jesus, Savior, Christ, King. He's both. Just like Grandpa Pastor. I'm both those to Johnny. Jesus is both of those to us. He's not only our Savior, he's our King. And I trace through the New Testament for the sermon, every use of the word Christ 
And 99% of the times, it's used of one of two things, either as savior or as king. And when it's used as savior, it calls us to trust him. When he's used as king, it calls us to obey him. Two different responses to the same person, Jesus Christ. What's the song say? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm gonna tell you what, there's people who are trusting but not obeying and you're miserable. There's people who've never trusted and they're still wrestling with their sin. The place that we're gonna find the abundance of life that Jesus talks about that he came to give is when we trust him as savior, not only saving us from the penalty of sin in the past, but the power of sin and its effects in the present and the future presence of sin. That's our hope that we look forward to. That's what we trust him for. But we obey him as king for our day in, day out, moment by moment, every decision, every thought, every word, every action, every attitude. So my question to you this morning, could this be the day that God is visiting you through this message and through this service to recognize Jesus either as your savior for the first time or maybe many of you who have seen him as Savior might say, this first time, right? You know, he's really my king. And I need to obey him. Could today be the day? And my hope and prayer is that nobody misses it. <laughs> and nobody is blinded to the fact of who Jesus really is. So let me speak about Jesus, the Savior. The Messiah King who was coming to save he was coming to save the, the, his people from two things. One from the domination of sin. The other was from the domination of the nations that were around him, around them at that time. And so in his first coming, he dealt with the domination of sin. In his second coming, he's going to deal with the domination of the nations. And many of those that are familiar with end times, as we watch the events of the world and see things start to take shape, we're going, whoa. Because the end game of everything that's going on is going to be the world coming against Jerusalem. And so all the other pieces are starting to move and get together. But when it's all said and done, in God's timing, that's the end game that everything is shooting for as the world events are moving. And Jesus is going to come back and will save Israel from the nations at that time. That's his second coming. But the first time he came to deal with our internal enemy, and that's sin. Sin is simply this. There's two sides to a coin. Two best of her. One is falling short of a standard. What, God's got a holy, righteous standard. That standard we've seen in Jesus. So here's the question you need to ask yourself. Am I as good as Jesus? Are my thoughts as pure as Jesus? Are my motives as good as Jesus? Are my words as true as Jesus? You know, are my attitudes as, as right as Jesus? You know, the list goes on and on. If in any place we fall short of that, and my guess is everybody who at least is sane in here is gonna say, I fall short there. We recognize we struggle with an enemy called sin. The other side of the coin of sin is this. 
In Isaiah, he said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. The other side of sin is this, running our own life our own way. I don't need you, Jesus, and what you say. I don't care what your word says. In other words, I'm gonna run my own life my own way. That's what it means to be in sin. So I, because I'm running my own life my own way, I'm falling short of how God says I'm supposed to live my life. That's the problem. And sin has got a penalty which is called death, eternal separation from God in a real place called hell with real fire that goes on forever. And as we saw in the triumphal entry, the only thing that stands between a person and that judgment is Jesus and the way you respond to him. Do you here today, if you've never come to, have you trusted Jesus as your savior? He's God's solution. Because when he went to the cross, as Isaiah goes on and says, you know, that each of us is turned away, and on him, God has put the iniquity of us all. At the cross, because the penalty is death, Jesus took my death and your death for us. Because he paid the penalty for my sin and for your sin on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, he offers a brand new life that will last forever. That's God's solution in the person of Jesus to our problem with sin. And we, how do we respond to it? We believe. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved, God so loved you. Let's put your name in in the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to die for you on the cross. That whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, whoever relies upon him, whoever leans upon him in faith, that what he did, well, first of all, who he said he is and what he did, I believe he did for me. Not so, oh yeah, he died for the sins of the world. That's intellectual belief. When I believe and rely upon the fact that he died for my sins, that's a personal belief. And God says, when you do that, you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. And I want to encourage you here today. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never come to the place where I've bowed at the feet of Jesus and acknowledged, Lord, I am a sinner. I fall short of what you called to be. I am guilty as charged. Not trying to defend my behavior or justify it, but saying, God, I'm guilty as charged. And bowing at the feet of Jesus and thanking him for taking my place on the cross to pay for my sin and raise from When I do that at that moment, God gives me eternal life. Forgiveness becomes mine. And I get a brand new heart, a heart that wants to follow God. And he puts a spirit in me and causes me to walk in his ways. I encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, today may be the day that God is visiting you. I pray that you don't miss it. What about Jesus as king? Now I'm going to talk to you who say, I, I know Jesus and... Um, 
I'm concerned for those who are trusting Jesus for their forgiveness and their deliverance, but they're not really obeying Jesus as their king in their moment-by-moment life. See, there's two synonyms in the New Testament for king. There's Lord, there's master. Same idea. He's the king. He's the Christ. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the master. And listen to what Luke 6, 46 says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's inconsistent for a believer in Jesus Christ to call Jesus their king and not obey him. In fact, I'm going to go a step further. I think Josh would confirm this. It's inconsistent and hypocritical for us as believers to sing about Jesus as king (laughs) and not do what he says. And I think there's so many believers that once they trusted Jesus as their savior, I'm good. And they've never really entered into the fullness that Jesus is more than just savior. He's savior, he's king, he's Lord. And as we sing here many times, there's thousand names and more to explain who he is. He's not a one-dimensional savior. He's a much more fuller God and God-man than that. And so here's a couple questions. Do you even know what the Bible says? Because let me tell you what, this is not what it means to follow Jesus as king. Come up with a modern day definition of love that is not rooted in God's word and begin to look at life and determine everything through that context of love. That's what's happening even among Christians today. Their starting point is God is love, but they also forget Jesus is truth. At Moraine, we believe that truth and love kiss each other. They're not opponents, nor do they neglect each other. They see each other on a regular basis. They're married to each other. But there's a whole culture, even of Christians today, that in their mind, the kingship of Jesus and obeying Jesus starts with the word love. And now they define love out of the current culture of what love looks like. And obviously a loving God wouldn't do this or that. So my first question for us at Moraine Valley Church that seek to be a church of grace and truth, do you know this word? This is where we find out what the king wants from us. This is where we understand what he's calling us to. This is what I'm called to obey the person of Jesus in light of the instruction of Jesus. What's the disciple obeying all that he, he taught me? You want to be a follower of Jesus? That's our Our mission, following Jesus, impacting others. You want to be a follower? You follow what his word says, following the teachings of Jesus. So where do I start today if I recognize maybe I've been trusting him as Savior but not responding to him as king? I tell you to start with his word and find out what he's calling us to. So you need to ask yourself this. Is there any areas of my life that are not in submission or obedience to Jesus as my king? Are there thoughts? Are there words? Are there attitudes? Are there affections? Are there actions that are inconsistent? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That are inconsistent with 
what Jesus is calling us to. I'm gonna get to the heart of the matter this morning. I haven't been up here for a while, so let's, let's get right to the heart of it. And this one, uh, you know, we can pull them off one leave at a time. You know, this area isn't in submission. That area isn't in submission. But there's a crisis point in our life that Jesus speaks about that when we deal with this, it kind of breaks the dam and everything opens up in our relationship with Jesus as king. And we see that in Matthew 6, 24. He says this. No one can serve two masters for either, you know, two lords, two kings. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Guys, this is the crisis point for every believer in Jesus Christ. This is the point where my relationship to Jesus as king will be tested. This is the line in the sand. This is the place that when I deal with this, everything else will come a lot easier. <laughs> if I don't deal with this, it's just gonna be a, a constant battle, leaf by leaf, rather than coming over and pulling out the tree by the roots and getting all the leaves at once. Who's running your life, Jesus or your money? And only you know that in your heart. What would that look like? Put it on the lower shelf. You know, if, if, if Jesus was running my money, then there'd be two things that I'd be giving regularly to his work. Because that's what his word tells me to do. Matter of fact, he tells me if I'm connected with a local church I go to regularly, I'd be giving regularly to my local church out of the first root, giving the Lord the best I have, pulling to the side, and I'd be given generously. But I wouldn't just stop there because then the rest of what I have also is the Lord because 100% of my wealth is his, not just what I determined to give week by week. So, guys, Jesus is saying this. You can't serve God and money at the same time. Tony Evans said it this way. God never has the heart of man till he has the wallet of man. And guys, I bring us there today because I can give you a hundred different illustrations, but I, Jesus says it, and if Tony Evans said it, I mean, uh, of course, a little different ranking there, but uh, Tony's pretty, pretty good. But um, guys, this is a crux of the matter point for all of us in the kingship of Jesus. We gotta solve the money issue. We gotta deal with it. If I wanna call Jesus king, and I wanna sing about him as king, and respond to him as Lord in obedience in all the areas of my life, I encourage you, if you've never dealt with the money area, that's the first one you gotta deal with. So here we are today, Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus came and presented himself to the people as their king. Some of them in the crowd sought and responded, son of David, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But some of the religious leaders rejected him and said, how dare you let these people call you the Messiah and the king. And I just gotta encourage you today, don't miss 
the visitation from God to your heart today. Whether he's speaking to you about trusting him as Savior or whether he's speaking to you about obeying him as Lord and King. And I just want to close and prepare us for worship by this. You got to understand, this is how big this kingship of Jesus is. This is how big the Christ presenting himself, Jesus presenting himself as the Christ. Now, I'm going to take you back to the place in Matthew. You don't have to turn here. Just listen. I'm going to read them to you. Jesus is on trial before the high priest. And they've been bringing all kinds of accusations against Jesus. And Jesus remains silent. And this is what the high priest said. And we're going to see here that he's going to draw a line at this Christ thing. And so here's all these accusations. Verse 63 said, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjourn you. That means I charge you under oath. I charge you under oath by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. By the way, they knew that the Christ was not just the king, it was God the king. So when he said, tell, are you the Son of God? was Jesus, this is it, I'm drawing the line. Tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the king? Are you the Son of God himself? And Jesus said to him, you said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. That means reigning and ruling and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And the answer, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fist. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is the one who hit you? What flipped the switch inside the high priest? Simply it was this. Verse 64, let me read it again. He said, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Jesus said, you've said it yourself, but nevertheless I tell you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now hold that in your mind. Jesus says, you're going to see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven to reign in power, right? Isn't that what he just said? Now listen to this, because the high priest, if there's anybody that knew what the Old Testament said, if there's anybody knew the prophecies about the Christ, if there's anybody who knew what they were supposed to be watching for, it'd be the high priest. And so listen to this in Daniel chapter 7. And let me set the context for you. The Ancient of Days is sitting in his throne, a throne of fire, to show that he's indestructible. He can't be destroyed. He's eternal. And out of out from his throne, there was a blaze of fire, came a river of fire. And so all of a sudden he says this, and I kept looking in the night vision, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. Did you hear that before? You just heard that. It's what Jesus quoted to the high priest. You're going to see the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven to reign, to rule. The high priest knew he was referring to the prophecy in Daniel 7, where this one, the son of man, came with the clouds of heaven and he came up to the ancient of days. He walked through the river of fire and wasn't destroyed by it and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Brothers and sisters, that's our Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. And the high priest knew it at that moment, Jesus saying, I'm that guy. I'm that guy in Daniel 7. Being the Christ, being the King, being God himself, and maybe most importantly, being rejected at the start of the week on Palm Sunday, which took us through a whole week of rejection of Jesus before trials, rejection of Jesus all the way to the cross, to the point that what was the charge that was put above the cross? King of the Jews. When the first, no, no, put the say, say, he said he was the King of the Jews, but I said, no, I put up what I put up. Jesus is the King of the Jews. He's the King of all the nations. He is a forever king who will reign forever over a forever kingdom. And brothers and sisters, that applies to you and me today. And as my good brother Bob said this morning, even to the point when I go to the grocery store, is Jesus being king of every thought, every attitude, every affection, every action of my life. Let's worship Jesus as the king.